Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, let me just start off and uh, welcome those of you who are watching this for the very first time joining our community. As you know, we're a church, but we really love and we welcome you for coming and joining us. And we hope that it will just give you a, a, dif- a different perspective. And hopefully through that, you can get to know us a little bit more as we get to know you. Uh, I want to kind of give a disclaimer before we get started. Usually when I do preach or give a talk or a sermon, I do a lot of research. Um, I do personal research so I can find out exactly what I'm talking about. But the thing was that I was in a dilemma. And this was a dilemma. In order for me to understand about these dating apps and for me to really do some research, that means that I had to go into and sign up for some of these dating apps. Now, before you get crazy, okay, don't don't get crazy. Let me try to give some disclaimers here. Uh, I realized that if I did that, my wife would have probably raised her eyebrow and like, what are you doing? So we did not want to cause unnecessary relational conflicts. So I decided, hmm, how am I going to find out about this whole dating app scene if I've never been on one and I cannot open up an account, even if I were to open up a fake account? I just don't, I just said, this is not going to work. So then I got this brilliant idea. And the idea is simply this. There must be at least one person in our church that has opened up an account, put their profile in there. Now, as I was thinking about that, I'm like, I'm sure there's somebody. So I kind of reached out to some people. And just through the grapevine, I heard that some people do have an account. So please don't feel judged in any way. We bless you. But once I found out, I just began to ask them a lot of questions. Tell me about this app. What do they do? And how did you set it up? And what does it make you feel? And I asked all these questions. And what I did was I simply got some of these notes down. And then I began to incorporate it into this talk. So therefore, as you're sitting there or standing there, whatever you're doing, and as you listen to me, and you're like, he really knows a lot about these apps. Did he open an account? So I just want to be very clear for the record. I did not open any accounts. Can you imagine if I open an account and some people from our church saw this? They'd be like, what? This is the wrong church for me. So anyway, I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page with that. But I'm excited to share because there's a lot of things that I learned about this dating app culture that I did not know about. So first thing is this. I want to ask us, do you know how many dating apps there are right now, currently in 2021? Do you know? Take a guess or just think about it for a moment. What I discovered is that there are 1,000 over, this is not the exact number, but there are over 1,500 dating apps online. Can you imagine? 1,500. And in fact, as I was kind of doing some research, I found out that in 2020, this past year, that there were 26.6 million smartphone dating app users. Can you imagine? That's close to 27 million users on this on different dating apps. Now, before you think, wow, that's a large number, you need to understand, this is just the U.S., the United States alone. So we're talking about 20, close to 27 million people are on the dating apps. 
just in 2020, last year, in the U.S. alone. Now, the thing about some of these dating apps is that the top companies, they are bringing in close to six to eight billion, six to eight billion with the B dollars in revenues. Uh, that is a phenomenal number. And that's why they're so popular. And that's the reason why they're making so much money in that way. Some other things that I want us to kind of think through is that instead of just looking at the United States where a lot of these apps were discovered, I want to look at some of the statistics globally so you understand that it's not just something that's from the West, but it's relevant to us here in Asia and why some of these apps are very important. So according to research firms Magic Lab and Statista, uh, it is estimated globally that there are close to 207 million dating app users. So that will kind of put it in perspective. Uh, maybe a lot of them from India and in China. I don't know. So we're looking at 270 million dating app users. Now, here's the first graph. I want you to look at this really carefully here. You will notice in 2015, there were about 185 million. And then in 2020, there was 270 million app users, as I mentioned. Now, something that I hope many of you are able to see here is that when you look at this, you will notice what? In 2020, why did it increase? As many of you know, because of the pandemic. And so they had to do everything online. And so many of them were stuck at home. They were lonely. And so they were looking for some friends. So it makes sense why in 2020, last year, we saw an increase in 270 million dating app users globally. Another thing that will help you to understand is the global, uh, global dating app market share. So here's some of these different apps. Some of it I did not know about. I know some of the more of the well-known ones. Uh, whether it's Tinder or some of these other ones, Bumble, you see. But there's, uh, is it Tan Tan, right? Or Tan Tan. And then you got the uh, Badu and all these other apps that are very popular in this side of the world and also in the UK. Now, uh, I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves when we think about some of these stats is that why would anybody go on a dating app? So, I don't know if you've ever thought about it or even asked yourself if you are on one of these dating apps. Why would anybody go on one of these dating apps in the first place? And I think there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different contexts in which a person decides to go into this dating app scene. And so one of the things that I want us to kind of uh, think about is according to the app that you're using, it has different purposes or if you want like a mission. And so I thought it was really interesting as I was doing my research, I found out that each app has different emphases or things that are projected as the main purpose of these apps. So I'm going to go over uh, the top 12 that's according to the CNET article that, talk, uh, but that was written by Rebecca uh, Finor. And she said these are the tw top 12 and these are the reasons why you might want to be on this app. So the first one is Bumble. And so Bumble is the best for, it says, confident women. So y'all who are very confident, many of them are on Bumble. Or should I say, those of you men who want to look for confident women, 
there are on Bumble. All right. Can I also, before we go on, I want to just make sure that I am not trying to promote or introduce some of these new apps to you. Some of you are like, what did you learn from this? Wow. I'm going to sign up for all these 12, you know? So that's not the point of this, right? I'm just trying to show you what the purposes are for all these different apps. The second one is Tinder. Some of you know that very well. And this is known for best for quick and easy hookups. All right. So if you're on that, that's another seminar. All right. So anyway, so Tinder, that's the one. And the third one is OkCupid. And it's best free dating site. I guess that's just overall. That's what they rate it as. The fourth one, the next one that we will see is Hinge. It's best for serious relationship seekers. And these are people who are probably getting older, wanting to get married and not just fool around. So there's Hinge. Here's another one. Coffee meets bagel. And I know there are a lot of people who are familiar with this. And this is best for breaking the silence. I don't even know what that means, but that's what they wrote. So just maybe trying to get into the scene of meeting people. The next one is happen and it's best for misconnections. So I'm guessing maybe you saw somebody and you were not able to talk to them because you were too scared. But here you are. You have an opportunity to connect with them. Here's another one. It's called the league and it's best for people with high standards. All right. Uh, you can interpret that however you want, but I'm guessing high standards being you got to look really good, uh, and all this other stuff. So those of you who have that and you just cannot find anybody, um, maybe that's the one, maybe some of you are on it. You shouldn't be on it. That's why you're not with anybody. So anyway, it just really depends on how you look at it. Here's another one. It's her. There's one that's actually for lesbian, bisexual, and queer women. So they are trying to market certain groups of people. Here's another one. It's called Clover, and it's best for confirming a date, right? Is he really going to pick me up? Are we really going to go out to eat? But it's confirming a date. Here's another one. It's plenty of fish. As you, many of you know that phrase, there are plenty of fish in the ocean. And so it's best for conversations, especially people who are lonely, want to get to know other people and have a conversation. Next one is called Match. Best for someone with money to spend. So, you know, somehow you college students who are making all the bucks on the campus, uh, this might be for you. Anyway, next one is eHarmony. And I think this is one of the original starters of this. And it's simply best for marriage seekers. So once again, those who are pretty serious about their relationship. In light of all these things, and in light of all these dating apps, are there things that... I'm wondering if it's really fostering the ability to have good relationships and healthy relationships that will lead to marriage. That's a question I want to challenge us with and to think about. Do these apps help us to build good and healthy relationships and eventually lead towards marriage? Now, please, I need to give a lot of disclaimers because I don't want us to make the wrong conclusion. There are people who have met each other through these apps and they have actually gotten married and have great relationships. So it doesn't mean that you cannot. But once again, if you look at the percentage, you realize it's not very high of those who end up being together in a good relationship. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that there are several things we have to consider when we think about the downsides or the downside of these apps. So are there any negative things that can happen? So this is where I kind of tapped into some of my 
resources and talked to different people. And they gave me a lot of insights and some of the downside of these apps. The first thing is this, that it promotes superficiality. And pretty much when you're on these apps, you're looking at just their externals, how they look. You can actually put your height. You have to put your height. You have to put all this stuff. So you're looking through this, and all you're doing is looking at the externals and what they do for a living. You can kind of figure out if they're doing certain things that they're probably making a lot of money or they're working somewhere. They're like, no, I do not want that. So what it does is that you don't really get to know people, but you're just looking at the externals. You cannot judge the character of that person just from a profile. As I was thinking about this, as I was also asking some people around, they said the worst part is there's a filter called a Christian filter. Uh, you do this by religion. And they said as soon as they put the Christian filter, all the good-looking people were gone. Now, that really saddened me because why is it that all the Christians are not good-looking? Lord have mercy. So I want to encourage us to accept and receive whatever God has given you. Anyway, I was going to say something, but I should not. Anyway, so when I heard that, I'm like, wow, that is totally superficial. Because the person that might be best for you might be somebody that you did not expect or somebody that has shared the same faith as you. Another thing that I found out is that the reason why there's superficiality is because once you get a match, because you swipe right, guess what happens? You don't even know how to start a conversation. Hey, we matched. Hey, I swipe right, and you swipe right. Isn't that right? You know, that kind of stuff. It's just a weird conversation. So they actually give you questions to ask each other. And I'm thinking, wow, to actually have questions given to you to ask that person, once again, promoting superficiality. The second thing is this. It perpetuates insecurity. That it perpetuates insecurities. Can you imagine if no one matches with you? Here you are so excited. I'm going to meet somebody but then no one matches with you. No one swiped you right. Uh, with all the mental health and a lot of depression and so many other emotional things going on right now, I think those are the things that really promote these insecurities that we have. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't look a certain way. Another thing as you think about this insecurity is that what if you match with somebody and then they ghost you? Can you imagine? Like you swipe right, but then you don't hear from somebody or you do match, but they kind of look at your profile. Maybe they're looking a little bit closer and they go, you know what? I'm not going to contact this person. Another thing when you think about the insecurities is that even setting up the profile, I found out from this one person, that setting up the profile is, is it's a arduous work. It's very difficult. And I said, why? And they said, you got to find the right profile pick. You can't pick one where you're eating because then you're going to think you're fat or you're like love to eat and it might not be good on the first date. So then if they turn to the side because, you know, your side profile might be good, then they're thinking, oh, my goodness, like, is there something wrong with the other side, right? All these things. So they're like, no, I got to put something straight. Should I should I smile? Should I not? If I smile too, uh, smile too much, it might communicate something else. And then I realized, wow, talk about perpetuating some of the insecurities you have. I think this is one of the downside of being on these apps. The third thing is this. It provides unhealthy expectations. 
It provides unhealthy expectations. Okay. I think there's too much static on my microphone, so I'm going to go ahead and just use my handheld here. And so what is this unhealthy expectation? And, and the reason why this is important for us to think about is that all these dating apps, they do not guarantee that you will find somebody. And I think many of us are aware of that. And if you do, then they are not the type of people that you want to settle down with, as many of you know. And I think for someone who's seriously trying to find someone, uh, there might be people who are not. And therefore, there's a mismatch in expectation. Here's the last one that I think is a downside, is that it proliferates self-centeredness. It proliferates self-centeredness. In our hookup culture, it fuels the self-centered perspective that it's all about me. In fact, it, it fuels even this lust, which is completely opposite of what love is. Because it's about what you can get, and it's all about you. So in light of all this, I want to propose that we consider having a different perspective uh, on relationships, how to approach relationships, how to do relationships. And I know that some of us who are watching right now, you might not be a Christ follower, and it's okay. We're glad that you're here. And maybe some of you were invited through the invitation of a friend, and you know that they go to church or they're a Christian, and you just want to just hear what the Christian, their perspective is on relationships. So we're glad that you're here. But I will say this, those of you who are not a believer, or maybe you've kind of drifted away, I think one of the things you have to consider in this talk is this. For all these years, you have been doing relationships your way. And I'm wondering if some of you have experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and just a lot of difficulties in your life because of relationships. Maybe some of you are in situations where you're not able to find anybody because of that. So my challenge is this to you, that even though we come from a Christian perspective, I'm wondering if you would consider it as a possibility because sometimes when you do it your own way, it might not work. Maybe there's a different way that you should consider. And therefore, what I want us to kind of keep in mind as we talk about this is just this one thing that I want to share with you. It is this. When we honor God with our relationship, then what happens is that we will begin to submit it to his leadership. So honoring God with our relationship, it really means to submit ourselves to his leadership as God leads us and guides us in relation. So I wanted to give us uh, maybe about six minutes to break up into our huddle group and ask this question, uh, these two questions, and simply this. The first part is, would you ever get on a dating app, right? Some of you, this is an honest time to confess. If you are on one, please don't share your each other's uh, screen name or whatever, but just go ahead and share. And what are some of the pros and some of the cons of it? As you, I shared a little bit, maybe there are other things you can think about. The second question is this, besides wanting to have a significant other in their life, what do you feel like is the real longing in a person's heart to find that special someone? What is it deeply within their hearts that they're really longing for, that they want to be in this relationship and causes them to get on some of these apps? So I'm going to go ahead and give you six minutes again, and then we'll bring you back and we'll try to finish off with some of the different principles for us to talk about together.
All right. Welcome back. I know some of you are still talking, maybe still kind of like, why aren't you on that app or why are you on that app? But anyway, hopefully it was a good time of just talking with one another. We're going to have one more breakout session so you can talk through some of these different principles that I'm going to be sharing. So I, I want us to remember how important it is. This is whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, and more particularly to those of you who are followers of Jesus, Everything that we do, we want to try to honor God. And so when, when we genuinely honor God with our relationships, the way we do it is learning how to submit to his leadership. God, I want you to lead my relationships. Lead me to the people or to the person that you want me to be able to connect with. And hopefully that will lead towards marriage. So that's why it's important for us to submit ourselves to his leadership. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give some biblical principles. What that simply means is that there are things that in the Bible that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that we want to be able to follow and honor him through, uh, honor God through. Those of you who are not believers yet, let me just encourage us once again to just have an open mind. And I'm very open to people who have different views. Uh, it's just whoever has the best view in some ways that's consistent, that can be logically at least defended, I think that's very important. And so I'm hoping that as I present some of these things, it will at least make sense, even though you might not even have read the Bible before. But to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that there will be a greater understanding of wanting to honor God as we submit to his leadership in all our relationships. So let me go ahead and go over uh, some of these different principles. Um, you know, as I was kind of thinking through some of these principles, I realized there is not a single person, whether you are a Christian or not, there is not a single person who would want to start off a relationship and, and lead to marriage thinking that I'm going to get a divorce. There's not a single person that would want that. All of us want to believe with all our hearts that when we find somebody and we begin to develop a relationship with that person, that as we start going out with that person, that it will slowly lead to marriage and that we will have the death to us part and it will last a lifetime. We all want that. But as many of you know, and some of you come from divorced homes, the reality of divorce is there. So my, my hope and prayer is that as you listen and see what the Bible has to say, what God has to say, it is something that we can submit ourselves to, especially as he leads us in our relationship. So I just want us to be, make sure that we're on the same page, that none of us wants to end up any marriage in a divorce. Because you know the pain. You know the hurt. Because some of you have divorced homes or broken homes. And this is the reason why we want to try to do it in a way that honors God. So here are some biblical foundation. I'm going to list a handful of them. So just try to follow along as best as you can. The first thing is this, that we have to understand that marriage is God's idea. It is not something that was created by human beings. It was not something that was more recent and we're trying to redefine what marriage is. We have to believe that from the beginning of time that God created this idea of marriage. And this is the reason why when you look at the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28, also in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, that God said a marriage is between a man and a woman. This is important. This is what the Word of God says. Once again, it's about submitting ourselves to His leadership. It's between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship to flourish the earth with God's goodness and God's purposes. 
That's why we have to believe that marriage is not a man-made construct, but it is God's idea that we see from the Bible. The second thing is this, that God takes displeasure in divorce. That God takes displeasure in divorce. In Malachi chapter 2, and also in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, God makes it very clear that he does not want want what he joined together in this covenant relationship to be broken. In fact, in the Malachi passage in chapter 2, verse 16, it says very clearly through the prophet Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. Now, those are some strong language. But what we have to believe is that if it's God's idea, bringing two people together in a covenant relationship, the breaking of that is something that he does not take pleasure in. So this is something that we have to be able to at least submit to in terms of his leadership. The third thing is this, that marriage reflects Christ's love for the church. That marriage reflects Christ's love for the church. I think for many of us, we think marriage is about us, and it's not. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, if you're ever thinking about marriage, it's really an opportunity for you to show people that Christ loves the church. That's why in that passage in Ephesians, it talks about how the church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. This illustration or this metaphor of marriage, once again, it's because God values not only marriage, but it's an avenue for people to understand Christ's love for us. Because once they see in a marriage, many of you have very negative views of the church maybe of Christians, for various reasons. But what would happen if you were able to see a good marriage that reflect Christ's love for people like us? Because you see this husband and this wife loving each other unconditionally. That you see this husband and wife learning how to sacrifice for one another. That's why I think we have to realize that it is an opportunity for us to be a witness of Christ's love. The fourth thing is this. That believers, those of us who are Christians, are not to be partnered with pre-Christians to those people who are not believers. Now, let me be very clear. It doesn't mean don't hang out with them, don't be friends with them. That's not what they're saying. Because once again, marriage is God's idea. You're making a covenant with another person. And so if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, it talks about the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He's using this farming illustration to mention that the direction of a Christian and of pre-Christians are different. Even though both of you might be nice people, the foundation and the blueprint of why you live your life and why you do what you do is completely different. For those of us who are believers, it's because of Christ and what he has done. For those who are pre-Christians, they don't fully understand that. So the idea is this, I'm I'm not gonna have time to fully explain it, but the idea is it says, do not be unequally yoked. And this farming illustration is you're supposed to take two animals that are similar, like two oxen or two cows or whatever you have you there, You take these two animals and you put a yoke. It's like a wooden thing that kind of goes around their neck. And then you're able to direct this plow so that you can go on a straight path. Why did he use that illustration, Apostle Paul? Because what he said is that if one is bigger than the other or it's a different animal, then the yoke will be crooked. And then what's going to happen is it's going to start going sideways. That's why when you're equally yoked, with people who have the same foundation and the same direction, you're able to move together. That's the point 
that he's trying to make. And I think this is something I really need to, many of you are students here, so I don't think it's relevant, too relevant now. But once you pass college age, you get to about 25, 28, you're approaching 30. One of the things that happens is that you start wondering, like, why not me? And the, the thing is that it's a struggle because there are all these great guys who are not Christians. Once again, when you put that Christian filter, all the guys are blah. So you're thinking to yourself, why, why? And I know many people in the past, they have in that struggle decided, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to make them into a Christian. I'm going to make them receive Christ. Or, you know what, maybe it's not that bad because they have better character than some of the Christians that I know at church. And what happens later on in many of these relationships that I've seen that kind of went in that direction, uh, they were very miserable and unhappy because they cannot share the most important person, which is Jesus Christ, with that other person. So we have to remember that believers are not to be partnered with pre-Christians. The fifth thing is this. Believers are not all called to marry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 9, the apostle Paul uh, he begins to counsel some of the believers during that time. And he says, you know what? Sometimes it's better not to marry so that you can actually devote yourself fully, fully to God. Now, when you think about that, what he's saying is that Paul was single. So he said, I, as a single person, I'm able to serve God. And so not every person is going to get married because when you get married, he says in Second First Corinthians that there's going to be other worries and other things you have to do. Now, that doesn't, he was not saying marriage is bad. He's just simply saying that there are some of us who will have this gift, and this gift is called the gift of celibacy, that you will have this gift where you will be able to live getting married and to, in some sense, being married to Christ in more of an allegorical way to devote yourself fully to God. Now, can I just mention something really quickly here about this decision not to marry? I know some people who have struggled with SSA. We use that term, which is same-sex attraction. The problem I have with using things like I am gay or those terminologies, you're trying to define yourself by this term your sexual orientation. In the same way, you don't try to define yourself of who you are made in the image of God by I'm an engineer. Even though you do engineering stuff, but you're defined by being a child of God. That's why in our church, we use the term SSA, same-sex same attraction. Also, there are people who struggle with gender dysphoria, which there might be a guy biologically, but they think to themselves that they're a girl or vice versa. And so one of the things that I've seen many Christians who are trying to follow God's leadership when it comes to relationship is that they make a conscious decision, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because I cannot live out what I'm struggling with in the context of marriage that defies or that goes against what I see in the word of God. And I have respect for those people. Now, some people are like, well, uh, these people who struggle with same-sex attraction, gender uh uh, dysphoria, all this stuff. I want to challenge some of you who are Christians. And this is my big beef with you who are a Christian right now, those of you who are listening. Some of you who grew up in a culture, maybe a church culture, that says those things are bad. 
And I would say there's Bible passages that speaks on that. But the problem is, is your inconsistency. You treat people with SSA or gender dysphoria with more of a negative judgmental attitude when you're okay when that guy and girl who are not even married and they're having sex together. I'm pausing for the dramatic effect to get all of your attention. If you have that big of a beef with those people who struggle with some of these issues, then you should be just as angry or judgmental towards those people who are not married and are in that kind of relationship. Because why? Because God's standard says anything outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage is not what he desires. So to those of us who might be struggling with some of these things, I want to just share words of compassion and just encouragement to you that maybe this is a possibility that maybe God is telling you that in order not to violate some of his commands, to choose to be single for the rest of your life. Let me give you the, a couple more here. The, the sixth thing is believers must honor God in all that we do. That's what we want to do. We want to honor God. Here's some passages. We're not got time to look at all of them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27a. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to what it says in the Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. I want you to look at that phrase. Honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So what he's saying is that because of what Christ did for us, we are called to live our lives to please God and to honor him. And one area that I feel like so many of us fail to do in this verse about honoring and pleasing God is in our relationships. And this is my challenge once again to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. There's no difference in terms of how you do relationship than the world who, do know, who do, might not know Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, is Jesus Christ making any difference in your life? Because if he's not, then the way we live is just like a person who hasn't trusted in Jesus yet. So everything that we do, especially in our relationships, we want to please and honor God in how we do it. And here's the last thing. That believers treat people differently because of Christ. This is so important. I want to just park it here for a little bit because I want to share with you the philosophy and the understanding of this. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, what he did was he created a new community of people who are part of the kingdom of God. So we have a new king, which is Jesus Christ. He rules over our lives. And so what he did was he created a new family, a spiritual family. So we have God the Father who loves us and Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us so that we can have this relationship with the Father. Now makes any person who are believers in Jesus Christ a brother or sister in Christ. That's why sometimes you will hear like, hey, brother, or hey, sister, because what we're saying is that because of Jesus Christ and because we are related to the Father, we are made in his image, now we are spiritual, quote-unquote, siblings. You are my brother, you're my sister. This is the reason why the way we treat 
one another in the relationship context, we need to do it in a way that we see them as a brother or a sister in Christ. So here's my challenge. Those of you who have siblings, would you do some of the things that you're doing in a relationship with your brother or sister? If you see it, this understanding of this new family that God has created. No, many of you love your sister and your brother. Many of you want the best for them. You will honor them. You will do everything that's best for them. You will help them. You will not purposely harm them. You will not purposely manipulate them. You will not try to deceive them. So once again, if you have this understanding that our relationships, the way we do it has to be different because of what Christ has done. I think this should humble a lot of us in the way we're approaching relationships and the way we're doing relationships. I think this is the reason why there are so many Bible passages about one another. Because what God is saying is that because of what Jesus did, it completely changes how we do relationships. Let me give you some verses just to kind of strengthen and reinforce the point I'm making. The first one is first, uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. In the NIV, listen to what it says. And I want you to read the yellow section out loud with me. Will you do that? It says this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with, come on, absolute purity. To do it in a way that there is nothing that you will do to try to manipulate, to harm, and to hurt, because you're doing it in a way that is pure. Because you love them in Christ. Here's another verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. It says this. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans or those who don't know Jesus Christ. Who do not know God. And that in this manner, read this yellow section with me. No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. I want you to just kind of look at that for a moment. It says no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. This is the reason why Christianity, the way we treat each other, has to be different than the world. But every single time when I talk to some of you or counsel some of you and I see some of you in these relationships and there's deception, there is manipulation, and some of you don't even think about how that person is going to respond in a negative way. You're, you're taking advantage of them. It says this, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. Can you imagine? And as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but say it again with me here, but to live a holy life. To live a holy life. Here's another verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love or sisterly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Learning how to respect, how to have high regard for each other because of Jesus Christ. So how should we do this relationship thing differently? So before we get into huddle group, I want to just kind of define for you of what this biblical relationship that we're talking about. And so I want to frame it in the idea of what is a biblical dating to be in a relationship with somebody? How do you do that? And why is it different? And how is it different? 
And I'll talk about that after we come back from the huddle group. But let me first define biblical dating. And it's defined in this way. It is a purposeful process for a single man and a single woman to get to know one another with the knowledge of their families and or church community in order to make a commitment to one another with marriage being the end goal. I want you to read it again. Biblical dating is a purposeful process for a single man and a single woman to get to know one another with the knowledge of their families and or church community, because there are some of you who might not have good families or don't have Christian parents. That's why the church community is there. And those of you who do have Christian families, it's also good to have Christian community there, the church, because they know you, they see you. So it's the knowledge of their families and or Christian or church community in order to make a commitment to one another with marriage being the end goal. Now, from this definition, quickly here, from this definition, there are four things that you see. First of all is this. Biblical dating has an end goal in mind. Therefore, it gives us a clear purpose. Don't ever forget that. There's no ambiguity. There's not, no, oh, is, is the person like me? What, what's going on? There's clarity. We all want clarity in relationships. So when you understand biblical dating, you realize there is some clarity in this because the end goal is what? Marriage. It's not to fool around, goof around, to meet your sexual needs or whatever the case may be. But the end goal of all dating is so that you can get to know people and to see if they are compatible with you so that you can end up marrying that person. And if that's not the person, you'll find somebody else who will be. The second thing is this that you find out from that definition is that biblical dating involves others who are important to us and can give us good input and accountability. I realize that many of you have, did not grow up with good accountability and people who could give you input. They just kind of left you alone. Some of you grew up by yourself most of the time, even though your parents were there, but they weren't really there. I think another reason is that some of us, we want to just do things ourselves. We are self-dependent. We're self-sufficient. And how many times do you have to learn the hard way that when you try to do things on your own, you stumble and fall? Well, you learn quickly that way through failure, pastor. Come on. Well, you don't need to always fall down to learn or stick that metal chopstick, you know, the Korean metal chopsticks into the socket to realize you might get electrocuted. That's called foolishness, as the book of Proverbs talks about. So remember, that is one of the things that it helps us to know that you have people who's giving input and helping us. The third thing is this, is that biblical dating emphasizes the importance of commitment so that it protects us from just dating around or casual hookups. Because there's a strong emphasis on a commitment and not just kind of casuality or just kind of maybe it helps you to then commit yourself to not only purity, but to be able to save yourself for the person that God has for you. The fourth thing is this, the biblical dating fosters realistic and other centered perspective on connection rather than superficial and self-centeredness. One of the good things about biblical dating is that it gives you a reality check. Because why are you in this relationship? And once again, you know the end goal in mind. And then it also helps you to think about the other person. 
Because it's not just about you. Because if your end goal is marriage, it involves another person. So it helps you to then think about the other person. Where are they right now? Is this going to be best for them? Should I pull the trigger and ask them out? Maybe they're struggling with some things that they're not even thinking about relationship. And the last thing they need is a relationship. So that's why I think the biblical dating, as we defined it before, is very important. So let me give the definition again. This is what it says, the definition of biblical dating. It is a purposeful process for a single man and a single woman to get to know one another with the knowledge of their families and or church community in order to make a commitment to one another with marriage being the end goal. Can we just quickly break up into our huddle groups? And I know that some of the things that I talked about might not really jive with you. Some of you might be angry. Some of you might disagree. And that's okay. Because once again, I stick by this because of many testimonies. And I've done many weddings. And I've done many, many pre-counseling of marital counseling and all these things. And I can say with certainty that when we follow God's leadership in all of our relationship, that we're going to see God doing some amazing things in our lives. So here are the questions that I want you to think about. The first one is this. Why are some of the biblical principles of relationships and dating that are, 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 are let, me, let me read it again. I think is why are some of the biblical principles of relationships and dating difficult to accept or live by. The second question is this. When you look at your parents' marriage, what are some things that you notice that are good and some things that you do not want to repeat in your marriage? So this is going to kind of cause you to open up a little bit. So once again, I want to give you about, you know what? I think it's going to take a little long. Let me give you seven minutes. Go ahead and share with your group and at least try to get to the second one more than anything else. So quickly go through the first one and make sure you talk about the second question. And then we'll come back and then we'll close out with some uh, principles that will help us in this relationship scene. So go ahead and break up together in your horror groups. All right. Welcome back. And once again, I know many of you could have talked forever, share these things. But just as a reminder, as we're talking about some of these biblical principles, we honor God with our relationship when we submit it to his leadership. When we allow God to lead us, guide us, because he's our leader, then when we look at all our relationships, it's going to be in order. And God has a good plan for every single one of us. Let me just go ahead and jump into now some practical things. because And then afterwards, we're going to have some Q&A try to answer this with other people on the panel so you can direct them, those specific questions to some of these people. But as we're talking about this, all these biblical principles, all these things to keep in mind as followers of Jesus Christ, then the question becomes, what do I do now? How do I get into a relationship? How do I even prepare myself? What do I need to do so that it will lead towards marriage, uh, especially after graduating, getting a job? How do I then move forward in that? So I'm going to give you six skills, and I'm going to use the word swiped with the D at the end so that you will be swiped right, not left, but right, all right? So six skills about relationships and dating as we talk about some of these biblical principles. The first thing is this. You have to secure your relationship with Jesus. 
Everything flows out of that. Your identity, your security, your significance, your acceptance, your belonging. Everything comes out of your relationship with Christ. And therefore, those of you, I don't care if you've been to church all your life. In fact, those are the people that I feel the most uncertain about. Because you feel very secure because I've been a church person, but you have no understanding of the gospel. I have a problem with that because I didn't grow up in the church. I wish I had that gospel when I was younger. And so I want to just encourage us to think about just because you go to church doesn't mean you're secure in your relationship with Christ and the gospel understanding. So secure your relationship with Jesus Christ because out of that will come forth as direction, purpose, all these things that will help you to come together with a person to start a new life together. The second thing is this. So we got the S is secure your relationship with Jesus. The W stands for work on the best version of you. Work on the best version of you. I think for many of us, we're always trying to look for that perfect person. But the problem is you're not working on yourself. And can I... I'm going to give you something that's really hard to accept and hard to believe. You know what it is? I hope, I know you've kind of been lost in the camera there. Listen to me carefully. I'm speaking to you. Some of you are so determined and concerned about finding this perfect person and this right person. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. If there is a perfect person, and if there is a person that you've said, this is the person for me, and they're that good, let me tell you some truth. They will not consider you. Why, why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because if they're like a 9 or 10, they're not going to be looking at a 4 or a 3. They're also going to be looking for a 9 or 10. And I'm not talking about looks. Remember, that's the other, the league. So that's that app. I'm talking about those people who have certain values and standards and things that they have convictions on. If those are the things you're attracted by and you were like, wow, this person I would love to, and they're like a nine or a 10, they're not going to look at somebody who's a two or a three. That's why I'm telling you, before you get into a relationship, work on the best version of yourself. Keep on growing. Learn how to be humble. Learn how to serve. Learn how to just give and generous and learn how to be compassionate and kind. That's the key in finding somebody because what happens is that when you are growing, they're going to look around and they're going to notice you because you're in their league. Amen. That's why it's important to be able to keep on working on the best version of yourself. Can I also say this regarding this point? Some of you have a lot of baggage just because of your upbringing, because of your experiences in life. And a lot of times with that baggage, you're carrying it with you. And it becomes very cumbersome when you enter into a new relationship. When you enter into a relationship with all this baggage, I'm telling you right now, that other person will now have to carry that with you. That's why the more you work on the better version of you, to become more like Jesus Christ, to be able to really grow in your heart, the ability to love, and not being so self-centered, so immature, then what happens is that you will become more attractive. 
How many of you really love those people who are like those sour looking people? Like they're not attractive. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Those people who have no joy. They look like they're, they're in pain or they're going to the bathroom after eating spicy food. They're like, uh, do you, no one wants to be around them. Some of you are constantly emotional. Like, no one wants to be in this unsettling situation with you. They don't know if you're going to be happy or angry. Those of you who are so insecure, like, people see that, and it's not very attractive. Those of you who are people pleasers, that's not very attractive, except for a self-serving person. If you want to be, if you're a good people pleaser, you will attract narcissists. Because you're trying to constantly please them. And narcissists, they love to be in the center of everything. You don't want to marry a narcissist. So why are you pleasing people? After, in fact, they'll be, they'll be wondering, is this really you? Are you authentic? So before you start jumping into a relationship, you got to think to yourself, am I secure in my relationship with Christ? Am I working on the better version of me so that whoever I do find and God has for me and is preparing for me, that I will just know that this is the person because they're looking at you in the same way because God's been working on them. The third thing is this. Invite others in the process. Invite others in the process. Once again, I think many of you miss so many opportunities to get good advice and to get help in relationships just because you do not invite them. There are people who are older than you who have gone through a lot of relational problems that you might be going through. They have fell into deep holes because they did not listen to advice from other people. You don't have to stick your finger into the wall so socket to realize you're going to get electrocuted. You just know. That's why any of you who are trying to do this relationship on your own, just me and this girl or me and this guy, I'm telling you, there are a lot of holes and a lot of cliffs that you're going to have to experience. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times when we do make mistakes and we do get hurt, that's when we're open to other people's input. Don't wait after the fact. Get people's input. Can I just pause here and say this? Some of you right now, the reason why you do not want to get counsel and input from other people is because you're self-centered and self-sufficient, period. You know God's speaking to you. Something in your spirit says, this is not right. This might not be the best timing. But you don't want to hear that from anybody. So you might as well not invite anybody so you don't have to hear the truth so you could do what you want to do. That's a very self-centered and narcissistic move. And we got you. We know your play. Because if you genuinely loved her and you genuinely loved him, why wouldn't you want input from others who are a little bit further than you and who have to learn things hard way? Because you want the best for them. But you want the best for yourself, which is your own way, your selfish ways to get your needs met, to gratify yourself. This is the reason why when I look at so many Christians who are trying to do this relationship and they go underground, I realize it's very difficult when I see this for God to bless. And let me explain why. God is not the father of lies. The Bible tells us in the book of John, Satan is the father of lies. 
Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the one who tries to change things and hide shame, guilt, condemnation. That's all from Satan. So when you start a relationship that's hiding, that's lying, that's underground, I'm trying really hard to see how God can bless that. So if you really care about this relationship, you really care about this person, and you really want this to lead to marriage, it will be the wisest thing to be able to bring it out into the open, to be able to honestly share so that people can speak into your life. And maybe there's some things that you don't want to hear, but it's, it's going to help you. So I want to encourage us with that. Listen to some of these verses. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, it says this. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Here's another verse in Proverbs. If you want to learn anything uh, with wise things, read the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, listen to what it says in the message translation. It says, refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. It's going to fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. So the W, or excuse me, the S is secure your relationship with Christ. The W is work on the better version of yourself. And the I is invite others in the process. And the P is purposeful interactions. Purposeful interactions. I just want to encourage you to get to know the people that God has placed in your lives. I would say right now, the probability of someone you're going to marry, they do not live in North Pole or maybe in Alaska. It might, but I will say probably not. Because usually what God does is he brings people oftentimes in the same context. Because that's how God orchestrates things so you can meet them. <laughs> now, it's not 100%. Because some of you are like, where's my guy? You're like, nope, 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 nope. You know, so you're like, nope. So maybe you need to go out and broaden a little bit. But once again, you got to look at who are some of the people that God has placed in your life. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean that you should start dating everybody, okay? Oh, he's in my life group. He's in my life group. So I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say. So please understand clearly that what I'm simply saying is that oftentimes when you think about getting married to somebody, it is probably somebody that's within your context or somebody that God will bring, whether in the future. Same thing with my wife, Christina. Like she and I, we served together in the church and she was in my context. And through that, I was able to get to know her and that's how more and more God was shaping my heart, getting me ready to be in a relationship with her. So that's the same point that I'm trying to make is that you got to have and look around and see why are some of these people in my life? Who are some of these people in my life? So what are some of the purposeful interaction? One of the things that I tell people is make sure that you see people in different contexts. What do I mean? The reason why is that if you only see them in one context, then that's all you're going to know of them. And the question is, is that really them? Um, those of us who kind of are thinking through this a little bit, let me, let me put it this way. When you think about purposeful interactions, you have to be able to see the trait or the character that you're looking for over multiple contexts over a longer period of time. That's when you know somebody is who they really are. Don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you have ever been fooled by somebody? You know how that works. 
Because when they're in a certain kind of context or relationship, then they might act a certain way. But in all these other relationships, they're totally different. No one in this world wants to be fooled. No one in this world wants to be hoodwinked and realize, oh my God, I married the wrong person. Or who did I marry? This is the reason why it is imperative that when you think about some of the purposeful interactions that you have with people, to make sure that you're thinking about, okay, is this a person who's a potential, uh, a potential mate that God has for me? Now, those of you who are already in a relationship, can I just encourage you with this? Some of you who are in a relationship, you need to change the conversation and your interactions. Some of you, all you do is sit together and watch Korean drama. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching Korean drama together. But if there is no interaction, sharing about different needs or wants or even dreams and things, then you're not going to really get to know that person. So try to have more purposeful interaction. So once again, the S is secure your relationship with Jesus. The W is work on the best version of yourself. The I is invite others in the process. And then the P is purposeful interaction. And the E is evaluate carefully and wisely. Evaluate carefully and wisely. Man, too often, and this is kind of tied in with the purposeful interaction, is that I think many of us, we get blinded by that person. Wow, he's a dream. I don't know. I don't know. We don't say that anymore. But it's kind of like, wow. And the problem is, <laughs> okay. You know, whenever I get close to the camera, that's like me trying to go heart to heart. I'm going heart to heart with you. There is not a single person. If, 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 if you are one of those single pe person, you come and talk to me. I'll buy you coffee and we'll have a talk. In my lifetime, I have never met anybody that they put their worst foot forward on a date, first date. They dress like a slob. Hey, what's up, girl? Or what's up, dude? Accept me for who I am. No one does that. Unless you have some issues. You're going to dress up, look presentable, hoping that that person will like you or be attracted to you. You're not going to be eating like a slob. Is there any more food? This is all you have? No. You're going to eat little dainty stuff, trying to be careful not to order too much, too little. Even though you're hungry, you just still kind of, because you don't want to present yourself a certain way. You're not going to be burping and flagellating and doing other stuff. Because once again, none of us would want to put our worst foot forward and have all our ugly stuff being exposed early on. Now I could fart and burp in front of my wife and it's cool. So what am I trying to say? Some of you are so enamored by people because all you see is the external. You only see them in one context. That's why you're not able to evaluate carefully and wisely. And that's why some of you are always stuck with those bad boys. This is the reason why some of you are always stuck with those narcissistic women. This is the reason why. And you're so blinded thinking this is true love. No, it ain't. 
You just need a pastor to tell you straight up. It's not. Because you don't want to be in that situation for the rest of your life. That's why I tell people part of evaluating is you got to know what you value. If you value a compassionate person, then you got to be able to, once again, see them in multiple contexts and in multiple duration of time to see if they're compassionate. What if they know that you're, you're looking for someone compassionate? Do you think if he likes you, he's not going to be compassionate? Oh, come here, little baby. I love you. And then when you're not there, it's like, get out of here, kid. Oh, look at this puppy. So cute. But they don't even like animals. Are you with me? But if they're compassionate when it comes to life group, people, when they're compassionate with strangers, when they're compassionate with the pastor, when they're compassionate with other people, and they do this not just one week, but they do it for a whole four years that you've seen them, then you could pretty much say, this person is a pretty compassionate person. If that's what you value and that's what you want in a future spouse. Some of you are thinking, okay, I, I, wanna, I want someone who's going to be faithful to the, the different responsibilities that I have. And so what do you do? You see other areas of their lives. Are they being responsible? Do they remember the birthday to get a cake? You, you know what I'm saying? Because there's a probability they might forget your birthday after they take you for granted and get used to you. I'm ready to drop my mic and ready to go. I'm sharing this out of love. But I want to challenge some of you who are so blinded by people around you that you do not wisely and carefully evaluate. Look for character. Because we're all going to get old. We're going to lose hair. I had long hair one time. Ponytail. Mafia looking thing. I know right now it's a one keg. But I had a six pack one time. We're all going to change going to change so once again i don't know why i'm talking evaluate wisely and carefully so here's some questions to ask are you ready this is going to help you first of all is this here's the first question do you have a common vision and values i think that helps to kind of evaluate are you heading in the same direction that's something you are you going to raise your kids the same way do you value the same things do you have a common vision together the second thing is this are they respected in their circle of influence if everyone thinks that that's a jerk then i'm telling you that they're a jerk okay in front of you they might not but they're a jerk so you got to see are in their circle of friends in their circle of influence like are they respected if they're not they have a major character issue War warning warning they have a major character issue. The third question is this. Do they have character traits that reflect Christ-likeness? Because the perfect person that you want to be able to see is someone who's more like Jesus Christ. The fourth thing is this. Do they have someone to speak into their lives? Once again, the people that you hang out with show you who they will become. The next one is this. Is, is starting this relationship now what's best for that other person? That's part of the evaluation. The next one, the sixth one, is are you going or are you doing things that are fueling emotions in which you cannot deliver on? I think one of the things you have to evaluate is are you doing things that's causing them to feel a certain way that you cannot make the commitment to? Another thing here is this. Will, will expressing all your 
my feelings now serve and honor that person. If it's not, then don't do it. That's just learning how to evaluate and knowing the situation. Here's the next one. Are they committed to Christ, the church, and the cause of Christ? Because once again, if you value any of those things, you got to be able to see that in their lives. Once again, secure your relationship with Jesus. Work on the best version of you. Invite others in the process. Purposeful interactions. Evaluate carefully and wisely. And the last one is define the relationship. I'm wondering how many of you have heard of the phrase, Hata'es. Oh, something like, is he speaking Bahasa Indonesian? Yes, I am. Salamat malam. Tonight is our night. Let me just say it this way. My family and I, we spent a one year in Indonesia. It was a great experience. That's why we love the Indonesian people. But I will say this. I've learned a lot about the Indonesian people because we have Indonesian people in our church. And I think what they do typifies what I'm trying to speak on this relationship topic. Hata S, from what I learned from my Indonesian brothers and sisters, is hubuguan tapan status. That simply means what? Uh, what is that relationship status? Because no one knows. There's another phrase called, what is it? What is it? Pedegate. We got some Indonesians right here uh, behind the camera. That's what I'm talking about. And those of you who don't know, you're like, why is he speaking in tongues right now? No, just listen to me carefully. It means a relationship is getting cl closer. And do you know what the favorite boy band for all Indonesians? Backstreet. And that phrase is used when people are in a relationship, but it's underground. That's what they call the backstreet, like the alley. No one knows. Why is this important? Because the reason why we try to encourage to define the relationship is because oftentimes you end up playing with people's hearts and people's emotions, which violates what I talked about earlier, learning how to honor people. When you come out and openly define this relationship, and if you are in a relationship, you're inviting other people into this relationship, you're walking with other people, helping you, then what happens is you still are able to honor them so that if it doesn't work out, then at least you can still keep the unity within the body of Christ in the church. Some of you, oftentimes, when you get into these ambiguous relationships and it's not fully defined, you guys text a lot. You guys talk a lot. You guys talk about certain topics that you shouldn't be talking about if you're not in a relationship. All these things that I'm mentioning, what happens is this. What if it doesn't work out? I've usually seen, this is over 30-some years, I've usually seen the, one of them, the girl or the guy, leaving the church. Or they both leave. On few occasions, they both stay. But I would say majority of the time, they both leave or one of them leave. And if we're a spiritual family, 
Do you understand how it rips people's hearts out? That's why learning how to honor people in a relationship is to define the relationship. What are you guys? If you're not in a relationship, don't, don't act like you're in a relationship. If you are in a relationship and you know you are, then bring it out to the light. Let God bless it and help you in the process of growing and learning. So once again, as we talked about here, it's just learning how to secure our relationship with Christ, work on the better version of you, invite others into this process, into this relationship, have purposeful interactions. And also when you think about it, it's, I forgot the E, evaluate, that's right. Evaluate carefully and wisely. And lastly is define the relationship. Uh, at this time, what we want to do is we want to have some, we don't have too much time, but we want to try to have some questions and answers. As I mentioned before, not all of you will agree with what I'm saying, and that's okay. What I'm trying to give you is what I see in scripture and also from my experience, which is very limited, my experience, not the scripture. Scripture is comprehensive, but my experience is limited. But I will say this. I have counseled a lot of people, over 10,000 hours of just counseling people, and many of them with relationship issues. And what I'm sharing with you comes out of that experience. And I know some of you are in different contexts and different struggles, and this is an opportunity for you to ask questions. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to show the QR code again, and there's a little form where you can submit a question. I know some of you have already submitted some questions, so we're going to try to answer some of those questions as best as we can. But if some of you, in light of my talk, some questions, other questions that come up, go ahead and uh, scan this QR code that you see in front of you on your screen and fill it out, and then Pastor Bo will kind of help facilitate our question and answer. We also will have uh, uh, some special guest and who will... I've told them to vulnerably open up and share of mistakes and things that they have gone through. So they'll give you a little bit of background of how many boyfriends they had. and all. I'm just, Well, maybe that'll be helpful, you know, so that people will know that you're not just like there, like I don't have anyone. But um, uh, they'll share with you. And so you can get a, a woman's perspective. I think that's also very helpful. And then uh, Pastor Bo can share a little bit and I can share. So go ahead and get the QR code right there on the screen. And then we'll have some Q&A right now. Right, we're ready for uh, Q&A time. And uh, so we wanted to introduce ourselves really briefly so that you actually get to know us and some of our background. And then um, we'll get into the questions right away. So again, my name is Bo, and I'm one of the pastors here. I work uh, part-time at the university and also um, you know, uh, pastoring uh, this church. And so really excited to share with you. Uh, those of you who don't know me, I uh, recently got married uh, last two years ago now, <laughs> 2019. Whoa, so it's um, like forever, huh? Then, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was like forever. Um, my wife Erica is pregnant, so we're expecting our first child in August. And uh, I think Pastor wanted us to share a little bit of past history. So before my wife, I had one girlfriend in high school and Whoa. then um, had a couple you know, other shady relationships Whoa. along the way. So that's kind of my background. Whoa. <laughs> So, I guess well, we'll you, go you, guys, you guys know me. So, um, had a few girlfriends, a lot of mistakes, 
but then finally found the right one. And we've been married for now almost 25 years. It's going to be our civil anniversary coming up this year. So, yep. Um, I'm Annie, and I am working at the University of Hong Kong, and I'm currently single, um, but I've had uh, many shady relationships mm -hmm. that I've learned from, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, my name is Joanna, and I am currently working here uh, in finance, and I am, uh, at this moment, single, um, but I ha I've had... Um, handful of relationships uh and can you define handful <laughs> i mean a handful <laughs> of relationships and um uh, many of them or most of them were before i came to know christ and um i think it's exciting to share some of my experiences of failures today all right. Well, what we want to do is uh, just jump right into the questions. And I think I think the number one question that everyone wants to ask, and I think was addressed a little bit, but I think maybe some examples can help is like pretty much the question, how do you know you're ready? And um, variations of that is whether it's like signs that you know that you're ready um, or signs that you know that the other person is ready. And then the opposite, which is like signs that you know you're not ready or that that other person really isn't ready. And how, how can you tell? So, like, what are some red flags that might be thrown up? So, I don't know if one of you want to I, I talk too much, so my throat is hurting, so I'll, I'll let them talk. I mean, I can share a little bit. I, I think, like, what I believe, or we sometimes, like, will say, like, oh, it shouldn't be, like, two halves coming together making one, but two whole people coming together. And I feel that... Um, like there were times that I knew that I wasn't ready because I was just kind of like that first um, S in swipe, like really insecure. And I think when there's one side that's insecure or both sides that are insecure, um, they'll just end up finding um, their identity in one another. And so I feel like um, when I see myself being so impacted by how that other person thinks about me, then I feel like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm. I'm not ready, and on vice versa too. If I've noticed that that person cares so much about what I think about them, then I just feel like that's not really healthy. Um, so that's maybe one sign that comes off from the top of my head. Um, yeah. Um, another thing I would say maybe for uh, in terms of getting, uh, I think that's a benefit of being in a community like ours or even having close friends, I think is to be able to gauge if the other person is ready and also having just older people that can counsel you. And I think from my personal experience that there were times when um, I ignored those counsel and when people, and it was there and uh, we, I was rebuked and um, I was told that it was not going to be um, good because of various things that they see in me as well as in uh, the other part, uh, the other party, but and I did not um, take that in and, and things kind of play out and eventually I realized, oh, a lot of the weaknesses that would be highlighted uh, through relationship, through different conflict as well. So I think that's why getting counsel and people who have gone through that um, is going to be helpful as well. If I were just to share, I had an experience back um, my third year of undergrad. Um, I really, really. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> many of them. Many of them. They were um, bad. They were bad. I really like this person. And mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the boxes were ticked in terms of some of the things that you suggested. Like, I had seen them in different contexts. Um, like, I saw the, the worst of them. I saw just how they served. And then I felt like, oh, okay, these are some signs that 
like possibly this would be a go, but I think I this was one of the shady relationships, so I would end up like studying with this person a lot and then um, trying to spend as much time studying together <laughs> as much as possible. But then I think what How was your GPA that that year? <laughs> Still okay. Oh. <laughs> um, but I realized like I realized it was not a good time for me because I realized like what I was really wanting was more affection or just that attention rather than like wanting to give myself to that person. I realized it, it was a lot more self-centered. And so I think those are some things that I realized because it was more about me that it wasn't like something that I should probably pursue at that moment. And thank God I did it. <laughs> then you wouldn't have found Erica. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, next question. I think this might be um, good. Uh, how do you draw the line between when you're thinking about like a potential spouse or a potential you know, significant other. How do you draw the line between wanting the best for your future family, having a great spouse, versus being self-centered and picky with very high standards? Um, is there a certain level of tolerating or compromising that you have to be okay with? And how do you balance that? There's an app called The League, so you could join that if you want. <laughs> you know, um, I, I tell people don't compromise on your values. And when we talk about standards, you have to ask what standards are they? If it's like they got to be six feet tall, um, but they stink in everything else, you're going to be in big trouble. So if that's your standard, then I think it's more of an external worldly standard. doesn't mean you can't look for someone who's tall or someone who's good looking or someone you're attracted to because the worst would be, right, if you marry someone you're not attracted to, that will not be good. And so one of the things I tell people is you're going to be able to know uh, if it's your own standard or not, because is it really biblical foundations that you can mark it against? And also another thing you have to realize is that you get to grow to learn to love people. And I think we forget that a lot. It's always like the media tells us you're going to be attracted to them. But I'm telling you, their attraction will fade away. You're not going to have sex every single night. You might want to, but it doesn't work that way when you get married. So you're looking at the bigger French. Why are you shaking your heads, guys? I'm, I'm just talking. This is honest talk, you know, from a person who's been married for 20 some years. Come on now. But so so that's why it's important to realize it's not just all about the externals. It's really about who they are. It's about the friendship. It's about the direction that you're moving towards. So I would say don't compromise on values. But on some of the external things, I think you could f kind of flex it down a little bit because if you were that great, you would have been taken up by now. So maybe you don't have a very good pers uh, perspective of yourself. Some of you guys want someone like this, but you're not like that. Remember what I told you? If you're looking for a 10 or 9, but you're only about 4, they're not going to even look at you. So keep on growing. All right. God bless you. I, I love you. I, I really do. So, Joanna, I want to share something. <laughs> She's about to share something. If I can add, um, I think even in this question about like kind of being more self-centered, but also like being able to kind of evolve one, uh, with one another. I think especially when you're in college, you have a lot of time to spend with each other. And it is usually not a good sign if you're spending all the time together. Mm. If you're studying together, eating together, going to classes together, watching Zoom classes together. Wow, that's I, like marriage. <laughs> 
even more so, right? More so, and yeah. uh, because I think uh, what I found also is that like it's so easy to because you're spending so much time together, then you're engrossing two lives together into one, and you are one is not nothing without the other, and you cannot you end up starting to realize that you lose friends and and you're uh, not even involving in other things that you're really passionate about, and slowly you're both losing your purpose kind of direction in life because you're making all the decisions together, and I think that is great once you're married. I think you you do need to make some decisions together, but when you're still just at a student stage and kind of looking and finding yourself, I think it'll be helpful to also leave some room for yourself as well and not making yourself all about the other person. And I think from uh, my experience also is that especially during college time, this is the best time for you to um, find yourself, to discover your passion, also to make new friends, right? To build those connections that will be really like lifelong lasting, right? So I think that's why if you spend all of your time just with that one other person, you're going to miss out on so much as well. Mm -hmm. And eventually you would um, graduate and realize that both of you go into the world and not really sure what is next for you. So I think that's just an advice is to not, is to still leave room for your personal space and discover and develop in the ways that you need to. If I could just speak to some of the women here, uh, I, I totally agree with what Joanna was saying. And I think there are two pitfalls. I don't think it's just for women, but just because I'm a woman, I experience it. I think one is, I forgot what's the principle called, like proximity principle or something. Like the more time we spend with someone sometimes, you you just like, oh, like they're awesome. Like, because you're always spending time with them and everything, it's like sometimes we... Um, yeah, we just say like, oh, yeah, like because you're close to them and in close proximity, they suddenly become really attractive. But then if you were to just take a step back and be like, wait, like what? <laughs> and not to say like anybody is like, you know, not good. But I think sometimes we have to have like a, a good evaluation. That's why involving other people is helpful. Um so exactly what Joanna was saying, if we spend all the time only with that person, we could be we could have a filter to, to view that other person. Um, and then the second thing is I think sometimes we just really like attention. And I think for women, sometimes we like that the person likes us more than we like them. Mm, and great, great. yeah, and, and I think we as women, we have to be honest with ourselves. Okay, do I actually like him? Or I like that he likes me and I'm trying to do whatever I can to keep his attention and I think it doesn't end well <laughs> um, from personal experience you can ask later but yeah I think like these are the things we have to be honest with ourselves and also be willing for other people to speak into our lives um, and that's why good accountability is so important too so yeah I'm not sure if that answers the question but just a couple of things um, I want to observe yeah that, that kind of leads into the next question which is like if we're supposed to get into a relationship first by seeing them from group context and not, you know, being attention seeking and things like that, then how do you actually get into a relationship um, in a healthy way? And like, is there a way that you drop hints to let people know that like you're interested? Well, if you're interested in someone that you don't have a lot of context with, like, what do you do? You f you're kind of stuck then because otherwise you have to kind of create context, which is a little bit shady in that sense. Um, and then the corollary to that last question is, does it always have to be the man who does the initiating? Can women do something to move it forward? Why don't you answer that yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer to that. Um, your experience. Share your experience. Give me some time to think. About it. I, think I think Annie was ready to answer. Oh, Annie was, okay, Annie, go ahead, please. Sorry. Um, I mean, I just share my, it's just my perspective. I think... Um, 
I won't speak for all women, but for me, I, I want someone who can lead me, and I want someone who can lead me spiritually. Um, and like, because it would suck if I have to be the one that's like leading spiritually and like making decisions and stuff. And so I feel like if a relationship starts with me being the proactive one as the girl, I don't know. Maybe some people think, "Oh my gosh, Annie is the 21st century, and like, don't be so traditional and stuff." But I feel like if like I'm the person who starts off like proactive and strong, then like it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the relationship and even our marriage. And um, I mean, I know some part of me like I, I like control too, so I wouldn't wouldn't mind making the calling the shots and stuff. But I I don't know if that's really what I want in a marriage. I think I want to be able to lead. So that's why for me, I would lean more like we call it traditional or not. But I would hope that. The guy can be the one who takes the initiative and approaches. But I mean, I think in terms of like dropping hints, yeah, like don't don't be like a log, right? Like don't be like don't not respond to anything. I think like um like engaging in conversation, smiling, smiling, yeah. Did like, you ever see my wife? She, she her smile, mm-hmm. it got me. It got me. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, smile. Talk to people using emojis when you text oh, them. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, emojis. Mm-hmm. Like don't don't just certain be emojis. Like... Not not those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and being expressive, asking questions. I mean, yeah, like being like having those social skills. I think yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. I, one thing is um, even like like the skills we learn in. Operation Campus Reach, OCR, where how to reach out to somebody. I actually think that is really helpful because that's just how you so interact OCR with. OCR them. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. Or wow. <laughs> or learn to be OCR too. Like share your uh-huh. share openly too. I, mean, I don't know. OCR I just... <laughs> too. OCR. Okay. Oh, wow. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Build, learn how to have normal conversation. Yeah. That's good. I think definitely, like, I, I want to first share about the boundary part um, is because um, I think it is it is helpful. I, I think in our days, I don't know about you, we used to have, like, signatures on our, like, MSN and <laughs> different things. and <laughs> uh, But I think nowadays it's not so much that I feel like it's having a healthy context with friends. I think it's okay. I think another tip that we usually share with people is to, sh- to kind of ask their friends and see how they are in their natural kind of habitat and when they are kind of like feel more comfortable what they're like. Um, the dangerous part is when you are spending a lot of alone time together in an isolated place where you're not able to um, kind of have accountability that way. That's one. And two, I think it's the hours of the day. I think it really makes a difference friends with your um even if you're just studying in the library but if you're doing that at 2 3 a.m every UST day library Holly has a library okay and <laughs> those then, final seasons wow, man wow, oh, wow, things happen okay, I see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay we have many stories to share mm. from our campus also um, <laughs> my story was at the library too <laughs> was it the University library? of Michigan library oh, gosh <laughs> the ugly right but um so yeah so I think that is why uh, it is also just being mindful of, of uh, having a healthy context I think it's okay to get involved and to have a kind of group setting and uh, that also helps you to kind of what piece I was sharing that if it's just one-on-one then they're always going to put their best foot forward right but then if you're in a group context then you'll be able to observe more from the side of how they naturally respond um in terms of like approaching I think for me it comes down to a to a um a problem of respons- taking responsibility. I think if the guy doesn't have a problem initiating shadiness with you, spending these kind of personal time with you, 
But then in the end, he cannot take that step to initiate a relationship mm. with you. Wow. Then to me, that is not so much that he cannot oh lead God. or take initiative or, oh, okay. oh, we have to do it. But it's more like, oh, he just wants to have the fun, but doesn't want to take the responsibility for it. But um, I think wow. uh, it's, it, I don't think it's wrong for girls to show interest, to uh, express that, hey, maybe we can be friends. But I think in the end, taking that step, because that shows me if you're, he's not able to make this decision or lead us in this way, then what about in the future? What about when we want to make decision about moving some, somewhere or having children or not having children or adopting pets, right? Like there are many things that I will want. Um, I, I have a list of things that I need my future spouse <laughs> to be on, on the same page the league, on. The league. <laughs> yes, I need to get on the league. Um, but I think these are the these are the things that I want. I would look for if he's not able to take this first step, then how about the many other steps? I think that is why um, I will want to see um, the guy to be able to take that initiative as well. So That's good. Well, I was going to say, there's a small book in the Bible where the best way to actually find someone is to lay at the corner of their bed and just go right underneath their blanket. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's why you got to read the Bible. Do so. It's good stuff. I'm half joking, but half serious. I'm joking about laying down on their bed. But what I'm saying is have a facilitator. As Ruth had Naomi. I would say have a facilitator. And I think in that sense, I kind of see myself doing some of that because I know some of the people on both parties, both sides. And so if one person tells me that they're interested in the other person, then I'm able to at least kind of give them some perspective. Uh, there was a time, I, I, I shared this before in one of the relationship seminars uh, in the previous years, but there was a person that really liked this other person. And I just had a conversation with this sister and she wasn't even thinking about relationships. She was going through a lot of stuff. I go, dude, man, I don't think she's ready. But he's one of those guys that never listens to anybody because he's very independent, self-sufficient and depends on no one. So I realized I was not going to convince her. I said, go for it. Usually when uh, Pastor Seth says that, it's a danger zone. So I said, go, do whatever you want to do. Go for it. He approached her. She rejected him. And then he got so discouraged. And, you know, I, I, my flesh said, I told you so, but I could not say that. I'm a pastor. So I said, come here, bro. You know, God loves you. It's okay. It's cool, you know. And then she approached me and she goes, Pastor, if I said no to somebody before, is it okay to still be open to that? I'm like, huh? And I found out that she was open to him. And so then I had to then go to him and say, are you still open? Because he was chasing after other girls. And what are you doing, man? Did you like that girl or not? And he said, I really do. But she said, no. I go, what if she says yes? He goes, yeah, I'll drop everything. I go, well, just hold on. So I went back to her and I said, you know what? He might be open. So I think you should pray. And if something you feel really convicted about, then we'll see what happens. She prayed. She said yes. And I went to this guy and said, stop chasing after other girls. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to approach her. He goes, are you sure? I go, I don't know. You just do what your spirit tells you, you know? And then he approached her. She said yes. And now they're married, have two kids, and doing well. And they supported our church plant going to Hong Kong. So praise the Lord. So what I'm trying to say is this. Having a facilitator also helps in terms of taking initiation and also knowing each other's situation as well. Okay? Yeah. Another question that's come up. Uh, this is about like relationships um, between people of different backgrounds or faith beliefs. Um, so what does the Bible say about having a relationship with a non-Christian, with a Christian? Would that work out? Or are there some things that we should be cautious about um, if we're thinking about entering a relationship with a non-Christian, even if we have the same values? Uh, and then how about also like what about someone who's Catholic? 
is this recorded? Play back at the 43 marker and then you'll know how to answer. I'm just kidding. Those of you who don't know me, sometimes I'm very sarcastic. I know it's very offensive. So let me try to rewind a little bit here. Uh, I think I tried to address that. And so it's really what you want to believe. Um, I would say if it's a different faith background, it is difficult because I've seen other couples. Um, if one, the question is, what do we raise them with, the ch children, when we raise them? And I, I know a lot of these people will say, well, they get to choose. But part of the role of being a parent is to guide. And so I think that's a mismatch. And if you really study the different religions, they're not all the same. Externally, they look the same. Most religions pray. Most religions ask you to give. Most religions tell you to live a good life. But they're different. And so the way you raise kids, it's going to affect that. I would also say Catholic, well, to me, sometimes it's really hard. It's easy, I guess, to start delineating what's true, what's not. Uh, I've been very humbled because I grew up in an environment where it says Catholics are not Christians because they believe in all this stuff. But I was able to interact with some genuine Christ believers who had a Catholic background who are Catholics. Some of them were priests. And their love for Jesus was so strong. So that's why I tell people as long as they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whether they're Protestant or Catholic, there's a lot of like theology that we will disagree on. But if you could be right on with Jesus and you believe that he's the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, and he died on the cross for your sins, resurrected on the third day, and you want to live for him for the rest of your life, then I will consider you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with the Catholic faith is, is this. You cannot get married outside of the Catholic faith. So they want you to be converted into Catholicism and do the catechism to then be uh, married in the Catholic Church for it to be in sacrament, which I don't believe in. And that's why that's one thing you guys have to determine. So that's why I believe as long as they don't make that religious rule, but as long as they can get married in a different context, not only that way, then I think it could work out. So, yeah. And just one thing about values too, I think after going through two years of marriage, I think the whole foundation of values is so important because like, even if you have similar values as a Christian, like Eric and I, we grew up in the same church. We have a lot of the same values. We've been discipled and trained in, in that way. And even with that, like there's so many differences. Um, and those differences really are highlighted when conflicts arise. And so if marriage is already that difficult with differences, like, like we get, we get into, I mean, I shared this in different Sundays and things like that. We get into arguments about holidays, you know, or like little things about communication and how our families raise us. And Hey, do you and, have a problem with Koreans? <laughs> I love Koreans. Okay. Just... I love a Korean <laughs> one. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you, Festival. <laughs> but it's like, Already, marriage is going to be difficult. Already, there are so many decisions that you're going to have to work through and values. Are, and no matter how close you are, there's always going to be a, a, a spectrum that you might be on. And if your foundation is totally different, then there's going to be things that you just will break your relationship and you're not going to be able to reconcile. And that's going to cause serious division in your relationship, which down the road, if you don't actually reconcile, then that will become like, you know, families who or parents who, like, they just live together just for the sake of the kids, you know? They're not actually living together because they actually love or care for one another, and so that's something that we want to encourage one another with. Uh, I can share a bit personal experience. I was uh, 
considering if I should enter a relationship with someone who is a pre-Christian and I really like this person because they were funny, they're ambitious, like there are a lot of things that he ticked off my list, but he's just not a Christian. And I think at first I was really disappointed, like, God, why would you do this? Like, there, here's this really great guy. You didn't but use a Christian filter. I, well, yeah. See, because, that's why. because after I used it. Oh, yeah, then, that's why yeah. all the ugly guys are there. Okay, <laughs> I got it, I got it. <laughs> but, um, and, and so I was like really seriously concerned, oh, like, what should I do? And this guy was very, like, adamant, like, well, I'm open to your faith. Let me come to your church. I'll learn about like Jesus and stuff like that. And then like, oh, I, I, I drove by three churches today and the song by Holy by Justin Bieber came up. Like, <laughs> I kid you not, he actually said these things to me. And then I was like, oh, maybe there's signs, right? <laughs> like, um, and I really thought that maybe it could work because uh, if he's actually, you know, he gets to know God and even my dad, he, my dad is a Christian too. He's like, well, maybe you're going to be the one to lead him to Jesus and into the faith. And I mean, I think it's not impossible. It's definitely possible. Um, but I think when I was honest with myself, I asked myself, like, do I really want that? And I not only values, but I felt like, let's say he does come to church and he does accept Christ. I think it's not really fair for me because I will never know if his faith is genuine because he loves Jesus. He wants to know Jesus or it's because he wants to know me if he actually wants he wants to know this faith because of me um, and also on the flip side I feel like it's unfair for him because I'll never know if he's actually like or he'll be deprived of the opportunity to know what faith pursuing Jesus looks like in his faith outside of my influence like of course then yeah then then I could say oh you you look for Jesus first and then come back but yeah I feel like it's just a really hard situation there so um, I think for us if we're considering relationship with the pre-Christian you gotta be consider whether you're okay with things like that and the value differences too so yeah can we get two more? Yeah, yeah, there's there's one there's a couple that are coming up over and over again. Okay, over um, and over well, again. I want to ask this question because no. it's been asked by multiple no, people. No, that's my answer. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. This question is not specifically related to like getting into a relationship, yeah. but it's addressing something that you mentioned about like SSA or LGBT um, earlier in the message. Yeah. Like, how do you address what the Bible says about these topics to someone who would consider themselves in that group? Um, especially because Christians have such a bad reputation yeah. for uh, approaching or relating or hating on people who consider them or identify themselves as LGBTQ or SSA. Yeah, I, I think the best way to answer that, and you know, I, I've been asked that many, many times. I've interacted with people who struggle with some of those issues, and I just tell them, you got to really be able to demonstrate that you care for them and love them. That's the first thing. Second thing is you have to understand that some people can say, I'm born this way or uh, explain it some other biological way. And uh, I, I beg to differ, but I think you could still have a civil discourse in a loving way and not being putting them down or judging them in any way. I think one of the things that I always tell people, even with just Christianity, sharing the gospel, is that they just have to see if there's another way. I also try to direct them to many people who struggle with the same issues, but they had a powerful encounter with Christ and some of their testimonies and how they came to some of this faith. And so sometimes when you give them some other possibilities, 
especially as they're going through some of the issues they're going through, that I, I feel like it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. So you cannot change them. It really has to be God who will convict them and realize that this is something that they want to submit themselves to the will of God. I think I agree with them. That's why sometimes I'm very compassionate towards people from that camp of LGBTQ or just even like the, um, what do you call it, the same-sex attraction and those people who struggle with these issues is because I think sometimes they are more loving than Christians. And that's very uh, humbling for me to think that why are Christians so... Um, just so angry and so mean and that's why i share with you in my sermon like i have a big beef with christians who are angry at those two people but then they have a roommate that's sleeping around with a girl and they're okay with that you should be just as because this is not what god says and i think when you do share it you shouldn't share like god's wrath is upon you but to really help them to see that god desires things for them uh, and not from them it's more for them and what god is doing so i think as long as you could be consistent with the message you're sharing, the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, because some of them, one of the things I realized is those who struggle with these issues, or even those of you who are uh, heterosexual and struggle with lust, I realized a lot of them really, when you think about pornography, when you think about some of these other issues that are connected to sexual issues and sexual identity, a lot of it you could tie it back into their upbringing. Some of them didn't have fathers. Some of them grew up in a very difficult home. Some of them, they were molested sexually. Uh, I had a, a person that I talked to where he was struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction. And I was just listening to his story because he was just broken over this. And when I heard the story, it really made me almost cry. I was just broken because when he was nine years old, his babysitter, who happens to be a female, sexually molested him every single time. We're talking about over a couple of years. Can you imagine a nine-year-old kid being sexually molested. So in his mind, he grew up thinking, this is wrong. So any relationship with the girl is wrong. So what did he do? He started gravitating towards them. Maybe things with guys are okay. And so that's why he started struggling with it. It was, it was a powerful moment of that realization. There's another story about a person who grew up in the church, a very strict legalistic church, that said that if you look at pornography, it, you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna be condemned to hell and all the stuff, so he, he avoided it as much as possible. And then he realized that any sexual desires for women or just even liking a woman, he interpreted that as being wrong. So then what happened was as he started getting into pornography more because he was older, he realized, wait a minute, they said if you look at pornography with women, it's wrong. But no one told me that it's wrong to look at men. And so he started looking into some of these gay sites. And because he was watching so much of it, it literally reshaped his mind of you know just the identity and that's why he began to move towards ssa but once he heard the gospel and he was healed of some of those things uh he realized that he still struggles with it but then he made a decision that i'm not going to get married because the bible is very clear on that and so there's so many different stories like that so sometimes when you listen and listen well you realize that a person that just doesn't pop up like that with these issues but there's some there's a story behind it and if you're compassionate, you listen, and then you keep on sharing the love of Jesus Christ and pray for them, then I've seen people actually experience God in a powerful way. So that's the best thing I could share with you. you know. 
Um, if I could share something maybe a little bit more kind of on an experience level rather than kind of more uh, knowledge, I think. Uh, and, and I know this doesn't apply to everyone. I think there are different arguments towards it and different ways that we view it. Um, but I think one thing to keep in mind, and this is maybe also a little bit more from personal experience, is that like it's really dangerous when you start kind of identifying kind of like what Pisa was sharing in the sermon. Like, this is who I am. Like, I am just this way. When um, I think we live in a generation where we all just want love. We all just crave attention. We crave that kind of affection from people. And also we are not afraid to try new things, right? We are um, a generation where we don't just follow the rules. So there's a lot of times it's okay to explore or we feel like it's okay to explore. And after you found something, then you identify like, oh, because I have this connection with this person and this person happened to be the same gender as me, therefore I am this. And I think that is the most dangerous thing because many times it's actually not so much this this identity of yours, but it's more that person um, just happened to be in that season, offered you something that you really needed in that moment. And you have that um, attraction towards it or you feel affection or love by it. And that doesn't mean that can only be offered by that gender or that specific people group, right? And that's something that you can find in many other people and you will evolve and grow and mature where you also need other things as well. So I think the worst thing you can do to yourself is to say, oh, this is who I am now. Now I, I have to like deal with this and now kind of enter into this this whole alley by yourself rather than kind of taking a step back and say, hey, what exactly about that was um, what I wanted or needed? And I think um, that's sometimes maybe even, especially as we're growing and developing and when we're young, um, I think some of these exploration is, 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 um, understandable um, but at the same time I think uh, understand at the end of the day what is it you're really looking for rather than just kind of putting a name and a tag to it I think that would be helpful as well one more last one yeah last one last question a uh, good amount of people also asked is um, can people in a relationship live together before marriage cohabitating without having sex um, and where do you draw the line between intimacy and sex or what are some good boundaries to have when you're in that relationship. Go ahead, guys. I share. Um, I think uh, it's there. When you say boundary, um, I think doesn't matter how much you set that boundary in your mind. Once you're in that room, um, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. Um, I think for me personally, um, it is it is something that like it, there's a physical attraction is one thing, but another part is just it's just intimacy and you just crave that. And it always starts with hey, just you know come over and let's have a meal. Let's just study together, right? We have to like cram all night. There's nowhere else that opens. Um, library closed early, so why don't you come over? Um, and then that goes into deep in the night. Um, that goes into let's sit down together, you know, somewhere. Um, I think for me personally, like I've kind of gone down that path before and I think um, I, I kid you not and we had a list we noticed that we were gonna get there and so we had a really long list of so-and-so's list of what we would not do and we had a uh, a long list of things that we we said oh if we only we have this and observe this then we'll be okay but that list is out the window the moment that you're in that bed together. And I think this is something that we just cannot trust, right? We well, we believe in the depravity of men, right? We are all um, sinful and we're all, um, you just cannot have that that much confidence in yourself. And I think um, the level of intimacy before you want to actually enter into marriage and for you to kind of explore that much into yourself. And actually I was learning about how um, I was watching a podcast was talking about how when you uh, have intercourse, the, 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 
the what is it in your brain that's released? Uh, what is that? Serotonin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they said it's actually the same. They call it the glue hormone, um, and that is the same hormone that's released when a mother breastfeeds its child or her child, right? And I think it's meant to make that kind of connection, and you build in that strong, deep connection with one another. And that is not something that you want to be so deeply connected with someone before you enter into that kind of relationship. And I think those things we just not never fully prepare for. Like we just cannot be that confident in ourselves or that proud and say, okay, I would never, um, and and put ourselves in that situation. So that's, yeah. I'll just add like boundaries without accountability it will just mean nothing. I think <laughs> like, like there's no way I, I know a lot of, I hear a lot of people will say like, well, I'll just try harder. I'll remember in that moment, I just won't do it and stuff. But once you're there, it's like, it's not going to like go backwards. Like you got to pr- find a way. So you have accountability that you don't get there. Like you don't, are you are not in a space alone with somebody at, you know, two, 3am, um, you know, without anybody around like because at that moment if you're gonna bank on your willpower you're gonna bank on your like good intention like it's just not gonna work (laughs) so fine do whatever you can if you really care about it do whatever it can you can to get accountability so you're not in that place to begin with I think yeah so I really think that boundaries if there's no accountability it's just it's not really going to um work yeah yeah, um, I was going to share, I think also from personal experience, boundaries don't work unless you have accountability. Um, if I could share, like, a little personally, I think even with Eric and I, while we were dating, um, like... Did you get our permission? For sharing some of yeah. this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sharing generally <laughs> enough. Okay. That, um, I think sorry, there's sorry, just definitely ahead. times where, like, we want to spend alone time together or um, we would want to like, you know, it's kind of like you have an, a, a good date or you have a good time together, but then um, like you want to go later and later, but then um, like it's easy to go later if there's no one who knows that there's a certain time. But like, I think, yeah, my roommates, thankfully at that time, uh, I lived in a room uh, apartment with a couple guys who, uh, they love me and they care for me and they were like, you know, tell me what time you're supposed to be back in the evening. <laughs> wow. So I told good. them like, there's a certain time I'm supposed to be back. But of course, you know, that time always runs over and you're like, oh, can I just get a little, but they're like, uh, so if you go too far past that, they know like something is up. And then if they know something is up, then that's kind of like that implicit accountability. Like, okay, I should probably like not be doing what I'm doing. And I, I think it was really helpful. Also, I think it was helpful that, um, like Erica was also good accountability for me too. like in terms of like making sure like let's not go to like her room, you know, by ourselves or things like that, um, which was really helpful. And I think like I think just speaking for the guys and similar to what Annie shared, like willpower goes out the door. And I feel like it's not just willpower goes out the door. Like your willpower is probably directed not to hold the boundary. It's probably to get the opposite of that you know i just knowing yourself and if you know like what you really want deep inside i think there are a lot of things that the depravity man that you want you desire that are are good in and of itself that got created but it's in a particular context and so i think i struggled a lot with that and i think it wasn't if it wasn't for accountability from my roommates as well as um i think erica was really helpful and then you know even sharing with like pastor and some of my mentors i think 
yeah, it would have been really easy to cross lines that I wouldn't want to cross if I look back at it. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Can I just, we're going to close here, but I want to share one thing that maybe this will challenge all of you, and especially with some of the questions that have not been answered yet. I think you always got to check your heart in terms of the questions you ask. What I mean by that is I've, I've probably heard every single question you probably have asked because I've been doing this for a very long time. And one of the things I notice is this, that sometimes you ask questions not to really obey God, but you want to know how far you can go without disappointing God. What I mean by that is how far can we go? You want to be able to go right up to that line and still be good. And that's not God's heart. It's not about how far you can go, but it's about where your heart is at. Maybe you shouldn't go at all. <laughs> it's about obedience to God. That's really important. Another thing is this. I realize that some of you, uh, either because you're not a believer, or you are a believer, but you're not really deep in your walk with God. I realize that oftentimes you tend to dichotomize life. What I mean by that is the first question that I heard from this last question, the first part of that I heard was this. Can you have intimacy without sex and can you have sex, you know? But I would say then you don't really understand intimacy. Because when you start getting intimate with somebody, it's going to lead to sex. That's how God made us. So you will be fooling yourself if you think that you could be close with somebody and not have sex. Because it will always lead to that. Or at least some level of. Because one of the things I will say that maybe many of you don't understand in the context of marriage. Is that marriage on one hand is committing yourself to that person. But clearly consumma uh, consummation of marriage, which is the finalization of marriage. Is when you have sex together. That's why all throughout scripture, this idea of sex, you don't see that word sometimes unless it's in a very negative sense, like sexual immorality, all that stuff. But that word in the Hebrew is yada, which is found in Genesis when it says Adam, yada, Eve. And that word yada means new. So Adam knew Eve. So part of intimacy is sexual intercourse and then when you are in a very sexual relationship you will be intimate with that person this is the reason why when you're sexually intimate and then you break it off like you feel like a part of you is lost now some of you have never been in a sexual relationship you have no clue what i'm talking about but those of you who have you know and that's how i'm speaking to you that when you're sexually close intimate you had sexual relationship. What it does is that you are now getting to know each other in a deeper way, a supernatural way. Because that's how God made it. He designed it that way. So sex is not just all about pleasure, even though it is pleasurable, but it's not all about pleasure. It's about intimacy. So once again, I don't know who asked those questions, but it just shows me that you're dichotomizing something that it should never be dichotomized. Intimacy with someone will lead to sex. And when you have sex with someone, you're going to be intimate with them. Therefore, the question is not, how far can I go? <laughs> but the question is, will this lead to something that will honor God and help that person? And I think if you could think of that way and you check your heart, you'll come to that realization. Maybe some things that even though it feels natural or you want, maybe it's not going to be the best. And that's why I want to just encourage us that if you have made a mistake, God loves you. And this is why we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We can't save ourselves, a willpower, whatever it is. We can't. 
That's what the good news is all about, the gospel, is that we couldn't save ourselves. We were weakening of ourselves. We were lost by ourselves. But Jesus Christ came and loved us by dying on the cross so that you could be set free and live a life that is full of joy and that God has a plan for somebody that you can connect with until the day you die. And I pray that God will lead you towards that direction. So if we can, um, the way I want to close it, we're just going to sing one song. And the reason why we do that is because it's more like a prayer. These songs are not just a sing-along, but it's really our heart's prayer to God as we sing these words and these verses. After we sing, I'm going to come back and I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over your life in terms of all your relationships and even your future marriage. The reason why I'm so passionate about this is I would love to see many of you getting married, starting families, and that's how we're going to bless and flourish the earth with the goodness of God, the glory of God. And so I'm so glad that you were able to join us tonight. But can we now turn our focus back on Jesus? Let's just sing this song together. And wherever you are, in your room or with other people in that apartment, just go ahead and just sing and make it a prayer to God. Will you do that as you're looking at these words? Make it a prayer to God. And then after the song, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing, and then we'll dismiss you. What a great reminder that the love of God, how high, wide, long, deep is the love of God. And I pray that you'll experience that. And as you do, that your life will never be the same. Can I pray for you? I want to pray a prayer of blessing uh, over your life and your future and whatever God has planned for you. That is a good plan. And to not to harm you, but to bless you. And may we experience that even as we enter into different relationships. So let's pray together. Can we do that? I'm going to invite us in this moment. If you just lift your hands, if you don't feel too uncomfortable, uh, just as a sign of just receiving whatever it is that God has for you, just lift your hands to God. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we just want to confess, Lord, that relationships are always messy. Sometimes it's very confusing. And we don't have it all perfectly figured it out, but... We just know that the greatest relationship that we are seeking for is our relationship with you. I just pray for those who are far away and those who do not know you personally, that somehow by your spirit that you will reveal yourself to them. And to those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, I pray that this relationship with you will not just be something that is a religion, but it's a vital relationship that transforms the way we think, the way we make decisions, the way we do relationships that it will honor you, it will bless you. Lord, I'm praying right now, even some of the questions that we weren't able to answer, that you will speak to them, every single one. And I'm praying, Lord, that all our relationships will bring you glory and praise to you. I pray for healthy relationships, one that will honor you and glorify you. I pray that it will lead to great marriages, Lord. Marriage is one of the hardest things, Lord, that we will ever endeavor. But we know that when we have you on our side, that great things can happen. I pray for just great marriages, future families, children to come forth so that we can populate this earth to bring you honor and praise. So Lord, I just pray as well. I just, I don't know, I just feel in my spirit. Some of you might have been in past relationships that it hurt you deeply. And I don't know what it is, but maybe just somehow your, your, your view of yourself Maybe some things that were lost. 
that Satan is using that to speak lies to you, I want to pray for you. Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that even though who, those people who have experienced pain and even a loss or even wondering, Lord God, in confusion, if they're good enough, if they ever get married, I'm just praying, Lord, that your forgiveness, your love will flood over them. Help them to really believe by faith that you do redeem and that you will transform our lives. Give them encouragement right now in the name of Jesus. Even some of us who are struggling with different issues in our minds, our emotional health, our mental health, I pray, Lord, that we will find all the cure and we'll find peace and rest, stillness in you and you alone. So, Lord, we bind every single spirit, every single principality that comes against in the knowledge of who you are. We take it captive and we're praying, Lord, that we will be set free. And God, may our relationships from this point on, as we walk humbly with you, as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, that we give these relationships under your leadership to believe by faith that you're going to lead us every step of the way. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, all that you will do, even in the future. We love you. We thank you. And pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.